listening to Beyond the Class, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cape Breton University. I'm your host, AJ Fraser. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Jessica Whitehead, assistant professor in the Department of Communicational Languages, the School of Arts and Social Sciences. Our discussion highlights Jessica's teaching practice and how she incorporates flexibility into instructional design as a means of making the university experience more learner-centered. Jessica's thoughtful approach to assessment, deadlines, group work, self-reflection, all things we talk about in this episode, they're all encouraging examples of universal design for learning. This curiosity and desire to create meaningful and inclusive courses, it's led her to having been newly appointed CVU's teaching chair in flexible digital instruction. I think that's a great thing. I'm looking forward to working with Jessica. Here we had a great conversation and I hope you enjoy the episode. My name is uh, Jessica Whitehead and I'm an assistant professor um, in the communications and languages program. And uh, how long have you been at CBU and where, where were you before this? So um, I just started at CBU, uh, I guess, officially August 1st. Um, and uh, previously to coming to CBU, I was a postdoctoral fellow um, I, and as well as uh, working and teaching and learning um, at the University of Toronto. Very cool. Um, and so one of the things that we're going to talk about today is looking at flexibility in course design and instructional design. Um, and in that, we're probably going to touch on universal design for learning. And so I'm just curious, um, you know, what is your understanding of universal design for learning and why is it important for your discipline? Why is it important for higher education in general? Great. Well, my real understanding of UDL is that it really helps to break down barriers um, and works to meet the needs of all learners and sort of assumes that the problem lies more with the design rather than the students themselves. Um, so, for example, I'm in the humanities, um, and so in many humanities courses, um, when we think of assigning uh, sort of a traditional essay, um, you know, some students will be very well versed and capable of, of writing that essay, um, but other students might not have learned the process of writing or researching for an essay. And then there will also be st students that might be um, more able to produce a creative piece or a project. Um, and so one of the things that UDL really provides is an understanding that assessments and learning can be redesigned to help facilitate all of these different types of learners. So for this example in the essay, um, you could group students together um, to work through sort of scaffolded exercises uh, to help with knowledge transfer. And you could also give other assessment options allowing students to submit, say, audiovisual work. Um, so I think that it's really, I think UDL is really important, not just for communications or film studies, um, but I do think that it's important for all disciplines because I think that we can learn through UDL how to reach students with different learning abilities um, and also see what ski, key skills uh, can be developed um, to, to sort of with different sort of assessment strategies as well as designing courses um, to be really have accessibility at its root. Uh, picking up on one of the things you said there, um, you know, sometimes the assessment 
um, method or strategy itself is part of the learning objective and not just um, the assessment of a concept or an idea um, you know, within a, a particular discipline or course. And I'm wondering how do we allow for flexibility um, or maybe a universal design approach when we are looking at, let's say it's a, a course that's on writing, right? And students will need to write. Um, and you might not be able to offer an audio option or um, you know, um, um, an oratorial approach or, or something along those lines. Yeah, well, I think that um, that's where I think one of the, the big keys for UDL is is looking at um, maybe creating uh, groupings of students. So one of the things that, that I do to help with sort of knowledge transfer, so one of the things that I do in my courses is I uh, group students together and they're all working on their own individual assignments, but they're working together on it. Um, and so this sort of helps with different skill levels coming together and transferring those skills. I also think that in terms of, of thinking about um, creative assignments, so say if you're teaching sort of an English class um, and, and writing is key, I think that there are still ways that you can have writing assignments, but allow for maybe some creativity in them. So for example, when students are creating a video essay, they are, they are writing is part of that, right? So you have to storyboard the idea, you have to do the research, you have to write the script. Um, so you can also think of maybe different ways of writing. So for instance, maybe producing a script or producing um, uh, posts. Uh, one of the things that I've done in a lot of my classes is have students uh, create social media posts based on the research that they found or write posts on Teams. Um, and this is sort of a more shorter form writing. And again, it allows for collaboration. So students will have to create a post and then they'll also have to respond to other posts, which again, allows for that knowledge transfer. So not only are you as the instructor sort of helping students to learn, um, but their classmates are also uh, giving them suggestions, giving them ideas, as well as modeling um, different forms of writing behavior or, or researching behavior. Have you found that there's been um, any challenges in, in doing the kind of the, the, the group mode? Because we are thinking about, you know, there's just lots of different kinds of people in the world. There's gonna be lots of different learners coming to your course, right? And so putting them into these groups, maybe they're skill sets, experience, all of that stuff is quite varied. Um, I guess you've talked about some of the opportunities and positive aspects of it, but where are those challenges maybe, or the friction points that you've you know you've had to work through? So I think that that's why I have um, allowed for individual contributions within a group. Because okay. I think that what happens when um, which, I mean, the group work is, I think, very important because this is a key skill for the workplace. And that's sort of another thing that's really, you know, key with sort of a lot of these ideologies around uh, flexible um, assessments and UDL is looking at sort of authentic assessments and, you know, trying to mimic what it would be like in the workplace. So group work is, you know, part, rightly or wrongly, you know, a big part of working at an organization. Um, so that is a very, I also explained to students that that's a super, you know, useful skill to learn and that some, you know, students are going to be more of the leaders, some students will be passive, but it's really important to have roles within the group. So, um, you know, I think a, a, a thing that a lot of instructors can do is create group contracts 
And so each student knows what they need to be doing in the group when they are going to be meeting. Um, but I think that having these individual assignments within the group is also useful. So um, I'm having students create a research piece at the end of my summer course. And so they are working in groups uh, to first find uh, primary uh, source research. Then they have to look at peer reviewed sources um, and they have to create posts surrounding the research that they're finding. And so they're submitting all of that individually, but they're doing it within their uh, teams group. So that allows for, um, you know, if there is sort of an absent student or someone who is not as engaged, students are still able to complete the tasks. Um, but it's really interesting um, with my uh, student evaluations from last term, a lot of students were reflecting on how they really enjoyed um, the group work that I that I did in the class. And they said that normally, you know, they, they find group work quite stressful because they're very worried that students aren't going to be doing stuff. Um, but when they're able to just sort of, you know, collaborate together and work together, I would say 95% of the students um, were very engaged in their groups. Once they sort of got the hang of it and knew what they needed to do, um, they really found that it was a, a very positive experience. That's awesome. I, two questions kind of come up on the group work thing, because I, I, you do, I, I think, I get a sense that you facilitate group work in your classes very well. Um, one of them is, are you kind of keep, are you, um, have you enabled uh, process to like keep an eye on the, the group work and that sort of stuff? Are you part of those teams or that sort of thing and then as well are the students um, evaluated both on the group activity and participation as well as their individual um, contributions the things that they're submitting to you so yeah i think that um one of the key things and one of the great things about using teams as a teaching tool is that you are part of all of the groups that you've created on your teams uh, automatically so i am in all of the teams if i see that students are not active i will tag them in the chat and be like you know are you, this is where we're supposed to be writing you've, you've made um, private private channels for each of the groups have you Yes, yeah. I've made private channels for each of the groups and you're automatically added as an instructor um, to those groups. So you and I always let the students know that I'm in the groups that I'm monitoring, right. you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm able to monitor all of their discussions. Obviously, they could, you know, decide to go off you know, off to another platform to discuss, but um, I'm, you know, privy to their discussions. I'm able to, um, you know, call people out who might not be, you know, participating, um, as well as show the students how to effectively use Teams, like, you know, tagging to make sure that everyone has a notification. Um, and so I think that that's really important, uh, you know, and that's part of one of the, the other things that I always do in my courses is have sort of a video, welcome video. And one of the key things that I do in that welcome video is, you know, show them how to, to use Teams, show them how to use the groups, um, you know, and of course, you know, there still might be a couple people that don't quite get it, but then you can, you know, follow up with them and, uh, and see, you know, how you can assist them to make sure that they're um, on that team and working with their groups. And um, for uh, assessment purposes, I think it really depends on the class. I think it depends on what you're asking students to produce. Um, but I do think that in a lot of cases for group work, um, part, so one of the key things that I do in my classes is I have a lot of self-reflection for students about their own contribution. Um, and so one of the things that I ask them is to, to reflect on what they've done, what their biggest contribution 
contribution was in the group. Um, and that I think is really important because then it allows students to know that that is a key thing, that they need to be active. They need to um, take on uh, different types of roles in the, in the group. Um, and so, um, you know, I think having some forms of self-assessment and building that into your course um, really allows students to know what is important and 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 I think it helps them know that they need to be active and available within these groups. What are the implications on, I guess, does flexible course design have implications for maintaining academic integrity at all? Um, do you think it's kind of inherently easier or is it more difficult because you have different things to track? Um, maybe you're not able to kind of pick up on some of the patterns that if, if you just are, are getting the same type of paper coming through. Um, yeah, I'm curious about academic integrity and flexibility in course design. So I think, you know, with the AI revolution that we're all kind of seeing with chat GPD and all of these other um, uh, forms of, uh, you know, AI and, and other forms of cheating, um, you know, actually flexible design and authentic assessment really go hand in hand with uh, looking at academic integrity in new ways. So, um, you know, it's it's much more difficult to use AI to create a great video <laughs> or a great podcast. Um, in fact, it would almost be impossible um, or other types of creative assessments. Uh, you know, that is much harder to, you know, the, the, the chat bots can't really do that. Uh, we still need humans to, to be creating these types of things. Um, and then also, you know, again, having a self-assessment and self-reflection built into your courses. Um, so one of, you know, my final assessments that I have students do is I have them create a portfolio um, uh, reflecting on how what they've contributed in the class, what they've done in the class, um, adding sort of any uh, tips or tricks that they found. And, and that, again, would be something that would be very difficult to uh, to cheat on, right? So this is these are all things that students really need to, to be able to develop on their own. Um, and I see very, very little, little academic integrity cases um, in my courses because students are, uh, you know, really kind of doing creative work. Um, and they're also assessing themselves as well, um, which I think, you know, kind of take, you know, there's a lot of sort of, I think, stress and, and worry um, about producing pieces. And when they're they're actually assessing their own work, um, it actually, um, you know, helps them. And I actually got a comment. I have students um, comment on the syllabus for their for in the beginning. Um, and I had a student comment for my summer course that said, the self-assessment model is fantastic, um, and I believe knowing, you know, how, how what my how I can sort of grade myself or or at, contribute to my grade um, will ensure that my assignments are done properly and worthy of what I, you know, think I should be getting in the in the you know for this. So I think that that is also another thing to kind of think about is when students have more ownership and and more um uh you know i think ownership within the learning experience i think that they are much less likely to um you know use chat gpd or these other types of ai software or hire someone or the other sort of various academic integrity violations that exist um jessica i'm getting the impression that there's for any one 
course that you're teaching, there might be a lot going on, right? There's a, you've got a couple of, let's say, longer term assessment pieces that students are working on. Um, any group or individual might be doing a couple of different things and, and have some flexibility that way. How do you, I think, handle, um, how do you manage all of that yourself? Uh, not, not just for one course, but, you know, I'm assuming you're teaching uh, a full course load right now. You, you just started at CBU. So um, how do you kind of, I think, uh, maintain a sustainable level of interaction with students and correcting and, and, and all of that stuff through the year? So I think that, um, you know, making sure that everyone's on the same page is really helpful. So that's why I build these types of assessments like the syllabus um, reflection piece so students know at the very beginning what they need to do. <laughs> um, and there isn't a lot of like later management and also creating sort of things like videos. Um, I've also done um, syllabus quizzes uh, and, or, you know, sort of um, uh, course oh, and also course agreements are another really um, important piece that you can bring in. So on the first class, sort of having students come together um, and in the syllabus annotation exercise that I did for this term, I actually had, um, you know, students reflect on what their expectations are for them as a student and for uh, for me as an instructor coming into the class, because I think that's really important that students know what their role is, but also what my role is, because I think that sometimes students could can you know sort of uh, think that there are they have very very high expectations of instructors that aren't necessarily realistic uh, that you know that we're sort of you know can you know respond to emails 24 hours a day that we're sort of like we're like the uh, you know chat GPT they can just you know write something and we're gonna be able to respond right away so I think making those expectations super clear uh, um, is very important and then um, as the semester goes on you know I think students are less likely to you know to sort of uh, you know put so much pressure on instructors um, when they know in the beginning what they need to do and just making things super clear um, at the beginning and super easy for everyone to find I think really um, you know I think really really helps out um, but yeah it's always it's always a struggle we're working more and more we have more and more expectations um, as as faculty but I do think that building in flexibility um, in a lot of cases can actually kind of decrease your workload in some ways. So for example, I I'm, uh, do flexible deadlines in my, in my courses. And so I have students fill out a Microsoft form um, to let me know when they're going to be submitting their work. Um, and this again is something that mimics the workplace. So, you know, people aren't always able to meet their deadlines, but they're, you know, they have to, you know, within a, I have a sort of a seven day grace period. Um, but and they need to let you know their boss know or the instructor know when they're going to submit it by and this really decreases the um, you know sort of you know 40 emails that you'll get before an assignment is due um, that you have to respond to individually so it just kind of automates that process I uh, I know somebody who was in one of your classes and this anecdote was brought up about the the flexible um, how was it uh, term to me but it was basically like you know um a extension a flat you know and all you have to do is submit this form let let jessica know when the extension is and the novelty and wonder of it was just fantastic and it was something that was like okay this person cares about me my own situation and i'm is giving you know trusting me 
to deliver on something if I if I just give them a bit of information. So I think, I don't know, it sounds like there's a bit of goodwill that's built there as well. And I think that probably goes a long way, um, you know, uh, in, in all of this stuff. Uh, what role do the students have to play, I guess, in either influencing um, your strategy or um, I don't imagine uh, that you came up with all of this at once and that you're going to be doing this every semester going forward, right? It sounds like a bit of an iterative process. And how do the students influence that or maybe shape the direction of a, of a course? So yeah, I think that that's really key is, you know, having the student-centered approach, right? So sort of figuring out what, what's working and what's not working. So, you know, I always do sort of a midterm check-in, um, which can be very helpful because it really sort of, you know, really nips in the butt if there's any sort of issues that, because a lot of times students maybe aren't telling you if there's a problem. I know I, I had an experience the first time I ever taught a course um, and I did do a midterm check-in, students let me know that apparently the speakers were blaring in the back, in the check, in the check, like in the, in the form, because it was anonymous, but they were too afraid to tell me <laughs> that in the class. So they had been like, you know, their, their ears had been like bleeding for the, <laughs> you know, the, for like half of the course and they didn't let me know. So having that ability to have, um, those kind of check-ins to, to know what's happening is really important. Um, and actually one of the reasons I'm kind of moving towards um, even more of a self-assessment model uh, for this semester is, you know, I was really feeling that, you know, the sort of the grading issue was causing consternation on, on both sides of the spectrum. Everyone was feeling stressed out about it um, and also providing more clarity. So what I've done now is I'm doing all of my assessments on Teams and I have super clear rubrics for students to look at the assignment. And then when they're submitting the assignment, they are going to be reflecting on what, what part of the group rubric they think that they fit in. Um, and I'm, I'm testing that out to see how that works. I'm still, of course, giving the final grade. Um, but I think, again, students having, they, they have a little bit more ownership of what, what they're doing. And I think it also gives them maybe a little bit more pride in their work. Um, you know, they're not just kind of, you know, slapping something together at the last minute. They're sort of looking at what they, what, you know, what is required for them in, in this assignment, um, and then trying to, to meet that requirement. I always like the idea of providing a rubric um, for an assignment and activity for the students because, you know, having having them understand what the learning objective is and then, you know, providing an opportunity for them to meet that objective, that's, there's, there's no secret sauce there. I don't see any reason why you should be hiding your learning objectives um, from the student and then saying, oh, magically, look at what you did at the end of this, you know, so I, I think that that's a great way of going forward with it have you have you done the provider rubric allow them to do self-assessment before on a maybe smaller scale um i've i've done rubrics quite a lot before um but i feel like a lot of times students don't necessarily look at them because <laughs> i think that they're just kind of there so that's why i thought building in the piece where they actually have to reflect on the rubric right. might be you're might gonna, be you're gonna helpful. make it a like a major component <laughs> rather than just a little side feature uh, yeah um, yeah so then what kinds of and I, we've talked about a little bit but you know this flexible approach it requires both kind of in-class activities. It um, uh, is 
requires resources on your part because you're, you're having to kind of explain maybe different um, uh, methods of getting to those learning objectives or different course assignments or you know being able to do a podcast or a video or whatever or social media post or something along those lines um, do you kind of uh, have you had to uh, write up new let's say kind of class or course policies things in your syllabus um, or what are some other considerations I suppose for anybody who would be looking to make a more flexible uh, course design so I think, um, you know, one of the easiest things to do, so if you're, again, I'm more in the humanities piece, so there's different strategies, I think, um, for the sciences. But um, so the example that I gave at the top where we were talking about that traditional essay. Um, so I have a research piece that students have to produce. So that can be an essay, that's option A. So I like to sort of provide a menu of options. But then they also have the option to do the same research and to, you know, to produce, you know, to definitely be, you know, have a thesis statement to definitely be, you know, integrating theory into their piece, but they could then choose instead to do a podcast or they could do a video. So it really doesn't, it's not. I don't think it's super onerous on the instructor because you're not creating three different assignments. You're just giving students a menu option for creating the same type of assessment. You know, the skills that you want students to learn at the end of the class are, you know, how to do research, how to integrate peer reviewed and primary sources in their piece. Um, you know, how to how to write a thesis statement or speak a thesis statement, you know, how to make sure that you're citing things correctly. Um, all of that stuff can be done in all of these different modalities. Um, and so I think that maybe some of the barriers that instructors might think is that they need to create separate assignments. Um, but actually, you can just create variety within the same assignment. Do you have to be pretty proficient yourself in maybe those different um, um mediums like podcasting or video or, or that sort of stuff you know um i think that you do not uh you're not teaching students necessarily how to edit video how to how to edit audio um you know there are tons of youtube tutorials for that um i have yet to have a student actually ask for my help on any of these things um so I give them the option. I think students, you know, that have those skills already or who are interested in developing those skills will gravitate towards those options. Um, and they'll be able to, you know, they'll be able to learn how to do it themselves or be able to collaborate with with other people in the class to, to learn those skills. Um, but yeah, I think that might be another barrier, another fear that instructors have. But I could say I've been doing uh, these types of assessments for quite a few years now, and I have yet to have a student say, can you teach me how to video edit? <laughs> you'd mentioned, you know, just a little while ago, you'd mentioned something about the sciences, right? And so that and, and you've uh, qualified your answers by saying you're in the humanities, you're in communication. Um, if you were to uh, maybe coach or give some advice to somebody who's in um, sciences or, or they're in business or any of the other sort of disciplines or schools at CBU or beyond. How do you think that advice might be different or change or, or what do you think are the commonalities that um, they would be able to, to take into their discipline? And I know this is speculative because you aren't a scientist, but yes. 
Well, good thing I did work uh, in teaching and learning at U of T. And so part of my job was actually to to meet with instructors of a variety of disciplines and sort of give them um, guidance and 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 talk through some of their assessment strategy, no matter what the discipline is. Um, so one of the biggest pieces that I sort of ask instructors, no matter you know what where you're coming from on that spectrum of you know humanities, arts, or or uh, to the sciences, is to look at see what see what skills are important in the workplace for your students, right? So what what are they going to be asked to do? Um, you know, if you're teaching biology or if you're in engineering, um, and see if you can create assignments that might mimic that. And one of the things that you know I hear from a lot of my science colleagues is that they are really trying to build, um, you know, communication skills. Um, ability to sort of translate knowledge. Um, and so I've seen some really fascinating, um, you know, assignments on on that side of the spectrum, you know, asking students to create um, video explanations of, of certain scientific knowledge or, um, you know, having them um, um, translate other material. Um, you know, so I think that building in some of those creative assignments is definitely possible. I've seen it, I've seen it happen in um, uh, quite a few uh, courses. And so I think that uh, looking at, you know, what those key skills are that you want students to develop and, and think of maybe some creative ways that they might be interested in, in exploring and maybe giving them options. Um, as well. Um, and again, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to start out with everything right away. You could maybe just think about one assignment. Um, maybe it's an assignment that hasn't really been working all that well for you. Um, and to think about maybe some ways that you can redesign it. And I know, um, you know, with academic integrity in mind, you know, there are a lot of sort of maybe traditional testing strategies that have been, you know, sort of it's difficult now in, in this new world. Um, and to think about building in authentic questions that are more difficult for students to to cheat or to, you know, to to use other people's ideas. And, you know, again, self-reflection is a really big piece. Um, so maybe trying to build in some of that self-reflection um, in some of your courses, I think, could also be beneficial, too. You're early in your career here at CBU. Um, I am, I'm really curious, your outlook, how do you see um, you trying to go forward in the institution with an eye on UDL and, and promoting flexible design? Um, how would you hope to see this, uh, you know, work its way through the rest of the school? So I think one of the the key things that I'm interested in learning are barriers on all sides. So what barriers students are facing in the classroom that maybe we can help break down, but also what barriers instructors are facing. Um, so what is it that might be preventing certain things, like maybe bringing in certain digital design ideas or UDL design ideas, um, and having conversations, right? And having these conversations and realizing maybe where it is that, um, you know, it, people are feeling prevented from being creative or being able to, you know, bring in new things and, and to talk through it. And just to, I think, um, you know, again, I talk a lot about self-reflection and I think that that's kind of a key thing for me as an instructor. So, 
you know, I'm always kind of reflecting, okay, what, what went well in this course? What didn't go well in this course? And maybe, you know, I think a lot of instructors do this already, but bringing in spaces where we can feel okay to, you know, admit, okay, this, this isn't really working for me right now. And I can definitely admit that there are certain things that I've done that haven't really worked. Um, and be okay with things not working. I think we have like this, students have a fear of failure, instructors have a fear of failure, um, but building in that ability to, I think, reflect on your own teaching practice is is really key. And so creating spaces um, at the institution where we can have uh, these conversations, I think is really um, important for me as a, as a new person. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to leave us with uh, today? I, you know, I got great answers. Um, and I think um, it's really exciting work you're doing. I think it's very thoughtful and meaningful work. And, and I can, uh, I hope that we're able to support it at the Center for Teaching and Learning. Yeah, no, I think um, one of the things that I kind of wanted to to touch on is maybe like, why, why do I do this and stuff? So I'm, I'm, I'm someone that does have a different um, learning ability and I kind of face those barriers firsthand as a, as a student and, um, you know, really kind of, you know, saw, saw how, you know, difficult sort of certain accommodation process kits can be. Um, and so that's why I really want to, wanted to design my courses that all learners can thrive. Um, and I do understand that, you know, there are barriers on the instructor side, you know, we have, we're all overworked, we have lots of students, um, but just starting starting small and thinking like, how can you make your course a little bit more accessible? And, and maybe seeing the eyes of what it would be like as a student to have to go through certain things and to think, okay, maybe I can, is there something I can maybe uh, shift and change? Um, and yeah, and building that self-reflective piece, but it was so great to, it was definitely so great to be here today, AJ, and, and I definitely don't know it all. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want people to think, oh, I have to, you know, go out and do exactly this or that. I think that we all, you know, have strengths and, and weaknesses as, as instructors, but I think it's really important to just kind of talk about these things and, and figure out, you know, how we can make, um, our courses as learner-centered as possible. That's a great note to end on. So I really appreciate your time and uh, I look forward to working on this with you in the future. Definitely. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Beyond the Class, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cape Breton University. Just want to give a thanks to Jessica for joining us for that episode. Uh, she's doing great work, and I'm really excited to see where her teaching chair goes. I want to give thanks to my colleagues, Rod, Nicole, Terry, Laura, Courtney, Debbie. We've got lots of episodes in the archive, so head to our SoundCloud. Uh, you can find that information also on cd.ca. got great episodes coming up. Stay tuned. Stay curious.